Hello and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my boyfriend to see the musicals he really should have seen by now and then we talk about them. I am the boyfriend. And I'm Drew. And this is what I'm getting a preview of before I should see it. Yes, indeed. Because we are going to a theatre. Yeah. We're going to go see uh, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella. Yeah, you have a pretty good track record with Andrew Lloyd Webber so far. I was just looking over our previous episodes we've done Mm -hmm. with him and I was trying to think about where, you know, which ones have been successes, which ones have been misses. And we've done Joseph, which was three star, good, inoffensive. Yeah. And obviously it was the film version, so not, not technically... You know, like the same as seeing a, a I film. I love that version. Yeah, though. but you but know, I what? would, I would also like to take you to see it in person. Yeah, you know what Joseph's I mean? Is great. it's like, yes, obviously this is the Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber show, mm-hmm. but it's a musical adaptation of his work. And as we've seen, musical adaptations of Andrew Lloyd Webber's shows don't always hit the mark. So Joseph, middle of the line, good. Phantom stage show, really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Love never dies. Not so much. Yeah. Cats, stage show. Really, really enjoyed it. It was a five-star show. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar was good. I remember enjoying that one. I think the songs and the music was, was really, really good. And I'm a big fan of School of Rock, mm-hmm. which he has a hand in. So yeah, Andrew Lloyd Webber is someone who has surprised me in how much content... He's a, had a hand in creating that I've enjoyed. Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that felt like subliminal bias would have been Andrew Lloyd Webber back was up, not interested, like compared to a Sondheim. Yeah. Where, you know, I've seen Sweeney Todd, big fan of Sweeney Todd, and the Sondheim that we've covered has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I'd have, and especially as well, I think if you told me I'd be preferring Andrew Lloyd Webber over Rogers and Hammerstein, I think I'd have been a little bit more like, I'm surely not, because Rodgers and Hammerstein are so iconic. Yeah. But I've not really got on with them. And maybe that is just, you know, a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. So I've I've always found Andrew Lloyd Webber a bit hit or miss for me. Yes. Obviously, I really like Joseph. However, I have a lot of childhood nostalgia attached to that. You like By Jeeves. We watched I like By Jeeves, one. but that doesn't really have anything to do with... I thought that was an Andrew Lloyd Webber. It is, yeah. but what I mean is, it's not the him bits that I like. You know, it's the book, and I love P.G. Woodhouse and the Jeeves and Worcester stories. So he didn't come up with the concept of that. No, you know, but and I guess it's the same with a lot of the stuff. Is arguably how much of this has he come up with the concept for? Mm. If you look at Cats, adapted from a story. Yeah. Yes, he's had to find the concept for the music and the show. Phantom. The Phantom of the Opera famously existed way before him. Yeah. Joseph, biblical. Jesus Christ, superstar, biblical. Yeah. School of Rock, very famous film before him. Starlight Express, Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Arguably, the only thing we have covered that is all him. Mm-hmm. His love never dies. Yeah. And even then, it's based on Phantom. Yeah. Which makes it fan fiction. But 
Now, the other interesting thing about today's episode is the fact that Cinderella is a story we have covered. Twice. Thrice. (laughs) Technically, yeah, thrice. We've done Into the Woods. Now, that's an interesting take on Cinderella because Cinderella deviates from like, Mm -hmm. but all all of the fairy tales deviate from what we expect the source material to. But it's also very Grimm's fairy tale. Yes. We did Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Which I really didn't like, but that might be more so because of the adaptation itself the one yeah. of the disney version mm-hmm. and I, you know maybe that will change but i really enjoyed slipper in the rose yeah as far back as our episode covering cinderella we have talked about andrew lloyd webber's version mm-hmm. as far back as then last that is May. because he started planning this at the end of 2018 yeah and i remember both of us have said well what more can be done with the Cinderella story. Mm-hmm. It's a story that has gone through multiple forms of media, ha- not just in, in in Cinderella. We watched a Christmas movie last year on Netflix that was a Cinderella story of like meets Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's such a done story that's been done to death. That what more can you possibly bring to it? Yeah, and when there are two musical Cinderella's already, what more can Andrew Lloyd Webber add to it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's my biggest concern going into this one, is why does the world need Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella? If this was Andrew Lloyd Webber's Sleeping Beauty, does it matter? You know? I could get on board with that, because the only really good adaptation of Sleeping Beauty... Not th- even thinking about the Disney film. Matthew Bourne. Yeah. And his version's amazing because vampire fairies. But which if you have not ever seen a Matthew Bourne production. You should. They are ballets. But his whole thing is that he aims it at everyone. It's for the masses. And you should go and watch them because they're so good. I can completely understand Andrew Lloyd Webber's desire to maybe get into the fairy tale market. I just feel like Cinderella is a bold choice. Now, is this, is this, I'd love to know the rationale. Is this because he is not a fan of the Rodgers and Hammerstein and he's like, I can do better? Or is it a case of he loves that one so much and he set himself a challenge of being like, but I want to make the definitive Cinderella musical, which I can also see him kind of thinking privately to himself. See, it's super interesting that you say that because a lot of people have called attention to the fact that We've only had five songs released, right? From this. I've only heard Bad Cinderella. Yeah. Bad Cinderella has a bit of the music that sounds exactly like Rogers and Hammerstein. It does. It sounds like In the Corner Where I. In My Own Little Corner. Yeah. yeah. In My Own Little Corner, call me Bad Cinderella. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. And obviously, from what I could find, Andrew Lloyd Webber hasn't spoken about this yet. Maybe because nobody's asked him, but I don't know. But a lot of people are like, oh, no, it must be a, like an homage. Like he's he's calling back to Rodgers and Hammerstein. Which is fine. I've got no issue with that whatsoever. Which we've, is fine. We've seen so many musicals where actually you can hear other things. Yeah. Sometimes it's more within your own work. Like we talk about how you hear a lot of Sondheim and other Sondheim. But actually there are moments in the last five years that you can hear references to Sondheim and, mm-hmm. and other famous composers because it's it's paying tribute and homage to people that have inspired them, I I guess. 
So this started the conception phase at the end of 2018. Yes. So it was a, a workshopped musical yeah. at the Other Palace Theatre with Carrie Hope Fletcher playing Cinderella. So it's always been Carrie Hope. Yes. Fletcher. It's always been Carrie Hope Fletcher. They had Tyrone Huntley as Prince Sebastian and Victoria Hamilton Barrett as the stepmother. Now, we've kept Victoria Hamilton Barrett, but... Prince Sebastian has been replaced by Ivano Turco, who is a newcomer. He has recently graduated from acting school, and I think he's great. We've seen one song from him, yeah. and it was fantastic. Is the reason that he's been replaced because of uh, contracting issues that the old Prince Sebastian had taken something else on in the gap between workshopping and Cinderella coming to the stage, obviously due to the pandemic, or is this because... You know, as we talked about before, that workshops are workshops, but voices may change. Uh, yes and no. So in 2019, after he'd done the workshop, he actually directed Ain't Misbehaving, which is a great show, at the Southwark Playhouse, our favourite theatre. I do love the Southwark Playhouse. And that was great. And people really liked it. That did really well. And then he was cast in Hello, Dolly, which was going to have Imelda Staunton Ooh. as Dolly. And it got cancelled because of COVID. Yes. However, he then returned to the Regent Park Open Air Theatre throughout the pandemic in Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, so he has still been busy he working. He was Judas, so he's been working the whole time. However, when you do a workshop, you are likely to replace your actors when it goes to the actual performance. Yes. Yeah, we've talked about workshopping before and... It's very rare that the same actors all follow on, mm -hmm. which is absolutely fine. I just wondered if it, you know, this is a workshop unlike other years. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there is a musical production of Ever After, which at some point, if that ever comes here, we're going to see it. We will just become a Cinderella podcast. But that is based on the Drew Barrymore movie Ever After, yeah. which is a retelling of Cinderella with Leonardo da Vinci as a character. And it's great. And that workshopped in America for a really long time. And then when they went to theatres, because it never hit Broadway, but when they went to, I think they were at the paper mill, um, they cast Sierra Borges as Cinderella when the entire time in the workshop they'd had a different actress. Yeah. And it had always been this one actress. However, you look at your um, sort of marketability and the names in your cast which right. is such a however with sucky this way show, to do that with this show yeah i don't think you can use that excuse of marketability for your other actors when you have cast carrie hope fletcher who has a gajillion <laughs> followers yeah because i think right away you're instantly going to attract a brand new market to this mm -hmm. i don't think obviously if you have other known stars fantastic you're going to entice them but i think when you've already got carrie hope fletcher who is unlike anything i've ever seen before in terms of musical theater presence and, and i guess fan base mm -hmm. do you really need name value yeah if you don't know who carrie hope fletcher is she was a youtuber and theater performer she is still a youtuber i don't know why i said was she, she started. She started out, well, she started as a child actor in the West End. She was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and the original cast of Mary Poppins. Well, she in Lame is at some point as a child. She as well. was also, yeah, she was young Eponine, who does not talk. 
or yes. sing or do anything. Doesn't matter. Just, she just runs on. But yeah. that's a great role. The fact that she then be- later became Eponine as an adult is very, is very cool. interesting. But she amassed a huge following on YouTube, mostly for theatre things and singing and just generally talking about books and stuff. She's also an author. She's written a bunch of books. But she has a huge following. And she was recently in the West End production of Heathers that started at the Other Palace Theatre and then went on to be in the West End official. Because she had such a huge following and her following was is mostly teenagers, they marketed it towards her fans. Yeah. And it became this weird cultural phenomenon where all of her fans were going to see this show and in the nicest way possible behaving badly in the theatre. Like, they would throw stuff onto the stage, they would scream when she spoke or any time she came wow. onto the stage and cheer and talk over the lines and things. And while Almost I can understand... like a Rocky Horror Picture show talking over the lines? Like, would this be a case of they've seen Heather's so many times that they're quoting along with it now, or...? yeah. So it's almost it became Rocky Horror Pictures of Cult Phenomenon, but based on one actress as opposed to a show. Yeah. Wow. Basically. They now have a different actress playing Veronica in the show because it's still on in the West End and it is open at the moment and Carrie Fletcher is now in Cinderella. So the thought was when Carrie Hope Fletcher got cast in this Andrew Lloyd Webber Cinderella that they were trying to mark it on the same thing. That they were going for her huge audience, who we already know are a really rowdy group that will come and see these shows and react wonderfully. Because they're so excited to be there. And they're very young. Yeah. Uh, Cinderella isn't aimed at children. Which is interesting. This Cinderella, you mean? This Cinderella is not aimed at children. Apparently there's quite a lot of choice language in the show. And themes... That are not suitable. But then again, this is Heathers, which is all about murder. Yes, but so... when they did Heathers, they changed a bunch of it to suit her audience. Okay. To make it more marketable. Now, I will say this. As a drama teacher, mm-hmm. a lot of students I teach, historic, you know, as far back as like five years, there are a lot of students I teach that I talk to that are very, very inspired by Carrie Hope Fletcher. Completely understandable. And and when we talk musicals, mm-hmm. they know I have a musical podcast. We do talk about musicals. You know, it's something that is a big part of their life. And, you know, the great thing about the show is it's meant that I can actually talk to them and engage with them in other ways. And it's mm-hmm. been really, really interesting and a really lovely ad- addition to my, my professional career. Right. I was one of those kids. Yeah. <laughs> I was obsessed with her. I followed her on YouTube the entire time I was a teenager because I believe we're two years apart in age. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. But we're around the same age. So I was very inspired by her. She was doing phenomenally in Les Mis when I started following her. And then when she went on to be in other shows, I kept following her and it was great. I've actually seen her in a couple of things already. I saw her in Les Mis, which was fantastic. And although a lot is to be said for, like, Eponine is not in much of Les Mis. No, but she's one of my favourite roles. I'd rather be Eponine than Cosette. I think Cosette is so wet and boring. (laughs) Oh, Cosette is so dull. Give me more Eponine. No, I like Cosette. I'd rather be Marius should end up with Eponine. 
Marius does not deserve Eponine. No, he doesn't deserve either of them. No. But he'd have a far... The most boring boy yeah, ever. Yeah, but he would have a far better life with an Eponine than he would ever have a cassette. Mm. Other than that, she's rich and already fits into his social circle. But, I you mean, know... It is what it is. I, I think we know that she's a very, very talented performer. Mm-hmm. But I think we are also... We're also aware that she is not without her controversy. Yes. And there's same a famous... Same Andrew Lloyd Webber. Exactly. Same as Andrew Lloyd Webber. There is a famous um, wrestling personality mm-hmm. called Eric Bischoff. And during the 90s, he was in charge of the rival company to WWF, WWE. And for 83 weeks his company topped the ratings and were like the dominant wrestling company. Mm-hmm. And his mantra was controversy creates cash. If you're not controversial, you're not going to entice people. And eventually got to a point where it was too controversial and people stopped enjoying it. And now his company died and WWE, I say prospers, but you know, they're in record, uh, network deals with Fox and other companies. But my point here being, yes, Carrie Hope Fletcher is a controversial figure, as is Andrew Lloyd Webber. Mm-hmm. But seemingly they have the talent and the personalities to back it up. To make some money, yeah. And, you know, I think in 2021, obviously social media will catch up on your controversies that in the 90s it wouldn't. You could be controversial. You could push the button mm-hmm. and get away with it more in the 90s. Yep. But now we have this public platform where actually you can still be controversial, but if if people don't like what you're saying, they will call you out for it. I know you've told me a bit about it, but I've seen it firsthand from experience. Yeah. Especially now that I'm more engaged in musical theatre, Twitter, mm-hmm. you can see where people are actively calling out Andrew Lloyd Webber and people are actively calling out Carrie Hope Fletcher because of these controversies. And I think that's something that they have to be careful with mm-hmm. because controversy creates cash, but in 2021, controversy gets you cancelled. Yeah. And I don't want it to sound like we're slamming Carrie no, Hope Fletcher. No, I have no opinion. I have never seen her perform. Yeah. I only read what other people have have written about her and to me that is kind of unfair. You know, you've got, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt people have their own agendas mm-hmm. and they've clearly seen this star. There's always going to be people that like to boost the star, but now there'll be people who like to latch on and try and bring her back down. Yes. I know nothing about her, so I am not going to talk about her like I'm an expert. I know that you know, for me Maybe she has some controversial views. Maybe she's not done everything right. We've spoken before about the understudy stuff that she's done Mm -hmm. and set double precedents. Yeah. But for me, I think if she inspires young people, young people to get involved in this industry and maybe try something it never would have before and find a passion, Mm -hmm. you can't fault her for that. Yeah. Do you know who else is attached to this musical? No. So, I know there's an alternate Cinderella. I've seen a picture of alternate Cinderella, but is that literally just... Great costume, though. But is that... lit? Right, so my question is, is alternate Cinderella going to be an actual character in this, or have they just promoted her understudy? Which feels very weird. I don't know if I've ever seen a show before where on the side of the theatre you have a picture of the understudy, and you're like, hey, you might see this person. 
that for me feels very very weird so i'm wondering is this this alternate cinderella a character no okay so spoilers but thank you georgina honora is the alternate cinderella she's also a member of the ensemble okay She's playing Cinderella on the days where Carrie Hope Fletcher isn't. Okay. It which is I it. believe is one day a week and then also any time she's sick. Could you imagine if that's who we get today? After all this I talk about Carrie Hope. No, 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 no. I wouldn't mind. I'm I'm not fussed. You know, as long as I get to see a show, I don't care if we see the main attraction or the understudy. I think everyone's part of this show for a reason. Mm-hmm. But it would be sod's law. We've just spent five minutes talking about <laughs> Carrie Hope Fletcher. Yeah. And then... Oh, uh, we, we got the understudy and I wouldn't complain. I'm not somebody who'd be like going asking for money back mm-hmm. because as far as I'm concerned, as somebody who does direct, yes, it's with kids and yes, there's not the same amount of money involved. Yes. You cast someone who would be good mm-hmm. as an understudy and yes, you hope you don't have to use them except on the days where you, you know you're going to, but if you use them, you know that they're going to be perfect for the role. Yeah, otherwise you wouldn't un- cast them. Yeah, understudies are not a bad thing. No. And there's, I don't like the attitude of, well, I didn't come I'll to get see. a refund then. Yeah, yeah, I hate that. So we have Rebecca Trahan as the Queen. She has been in a whole bunch of things. Her list goes on and on and on. She was Killer Queen in We Will Rock You, cool. which is great. Uh, she has been in Les Mis, Sweet Charity, Kiss Me Kate, Rags, like... Everything. She's been in everything. Very accomplished. Mm-hmm. Cool. We have Victoria Hamilton Barrett as the stepmother. And she was there with the workshops. She was in the workshops. The picture of her is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take some pictures when we're outside the theatre because the posters for this oh, yeah. are really nice. So she was in Death of a Salesman, The Wild Party, In the Heights, which is great. Gypsy, Grease, Flashdance. Basically, again... Everything. Very, very talented CV. Yes. And she's also been in Call the Midwife. Cool. And then we have just a whole wonderful rest of the cast. But we have Gloria Onitiri as the godmother, which is a super interesting role because I've heard things. Okay. But I'm not going to tell you about any of them yet. But yeah, she's been in everything as well. We've got some really, really established actors in this. And partly... I mean, that's the allure of working with Andrew Lloyd Webber is, Mm -hmm. you know, you want, you know, maybe the one thing you haven't done in your career yet, you're like, tick this off the bucket list. Yeah. But also if you're trying to bring a brand new show to the stage, Mm -hmm. if you're Andrew Lloyd Webber, you you don't necessarily want unnamed people. Yes, you want to have maybe create a star or two, Mm -hmm. but you've got to kind of rely on name value, you know, leave the star making for a year once it's been established for you and people still want to see it yeah so the book for this was written by emerald fennel not andrew lloyd Webber. she is a writer director and actress she wrote promising young woman yep which did really well at the academy awards at the baftas yeah she also wrote and produced season two of killing eve which cool. people rave about i've never watched that i've heard but... really good things yep and she's also written a few novels she also is very well known for playing Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. Cool. Yeah. And so very, again, very, very talented, almost finger on the pulse yes. writer mm-hmm. because they're so involved in a lot of different media. They kind of know what an audience of this time would want. Yeah. So she wrote the book for it. And then we obviously have Andrew Lloyd Webber as the composer, but we have David Zippel as the lyricist. 
Do you know who he is? No. Uh, he wrote all the lyrics for Hercules. And also... The Alan Menken Hercules. Mulan. Cool. And also the song at the end of Pokemon, the first movie. Okay. Which is great. Also Swan Princess and The Wedding Planner and Goodbye Girl. Like, he is a really, really talented lyricist. And he also wrote Star Spangled Man with a Plan, the lyrics, with Alan Menken. So we have a very talented group. Yes, but if you specifically look at David Zippel's work, it's very fairy tale, Disney, Broadway. Yeah, so the right people are involved Mm -hmm. for this then. That gives me more hype, to be completely honest. Yeah. I'm I'm obviously excited because it means we're going back to the Mm theatre. And I love this theatre. I, <laughs> famous last words, I've never had a bad experience at this theatre. I have seen Warhorse there maybe three or four times. Yeah. And I've seen School of Rock there maybe two or three times. I have never had a bad experience at this theatre. I love it. I love mm. the whole vibe about it. I guess when we come back, we will talk about the COVID protocols as well. And, yes. you know, the safety value before we start talking about the show yeah. itself. Because this is a preview show. This is a, we're showing previews. And then we're going to have uh, a break or so, and then the main attraction. So mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Do you know anything about the plot? No. At all? No. Cool. I've seen pictures of the set. I have to say, it's not one of the better sets I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looks very two-dimensional and flat. Mm-hmm. But again, maybe that's just pictures not doing it justice. But it's one of those, we spoke about this two weeks ago with Into the Woods. We're going to see this from the get-go. People have taken their photos as they arrive and you can see the set. So it's going to be quite nice that you go there and you can see everything already. Yeah. Um, It's a beautiful stage. It's a very, from my experience, I know that the stage has a revolve and means... the chairs move, yeah. We're not going to be one of those chairs, I think. No, we're not. But the stage itself, the revolve is great. Like it works so well with School of Rock and obviously made Warhorse, I think, a bit more spectacular. Mm-hmm. So I think as a theatre, there's going to be enough stage magic that even if I'm not being absorbed in the plot and the songs, I might be wowed by making. the spectacle, mm-hmm. you know? So bring it on. Yeah. So. I'm going to read you a little bit from this. Okay. Welcome to Belleville, the most aggressively picturesque town in the history of the world, populated exclusively with gorgeous townsfolk who stop at nothing to achieve perfection. Belleville is a fairy tale come to life, a place where you can't move without falling over a wishing well or a quivering milkmaid. Maintaining this facade is a full-time job and one that is taken very seriously indeed. I think that tells you everything you need to know. It's a facade. This is all very fake. Yes. However, one of the comments I have heard from people who have looked at the picture of the set and not seen it yet is that, oh, the set looks like it's made out of cardboard. Yes. What's well, a facade, right? So. Okay. Maybe. I can't comment yet, but we will see. We will see if it is a facade. Anyway, my final hope, my final thought before we do sign off and head to the theatre, I hope we are able to purchase some of Andrew Lloyd Webber's hot buns. Me too. Hot buns. Look at my hot buns. Give me the hottest of buns. 
And yes, it'll be interesting to add to our merch collection. Mm -hmm. We will see you on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. Go and follow our exploits as we go to a live show. And we will be back, not shortly in this case, we've got quite a trek ahead, but we will be back after intermission. Cinderella, nasty girl, gutter rules. Your unkindness doesn't shock me. Barking mad, Cinderella, mock my hair and my clothes, and I hope I have upset you. Well, forget you. Hot buns, look at my hot buns. We are back. We went to the theatre. And we made it back just in time for midnight. Okay. Where she did. We actually did just before midnight, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Which is uh, more than I can say for Cinderella, to be honest. Yes. She did not make it back before midnight. What do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the theatre experience or go straight into Cinderella? We talk about the theatre experience. Yeah, I think it's really important that we do. Yes. This is a theatre I've been to a lot of times and it's a theatre I love the interior to. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. It's such a, it is quite a tiny theatre. Yeah. But in terms of obviously apocalypse protocols, you know, like... The only theatre experience we have had since the pandemic began was obviously the last five years. Yes. At the Southwark Playhouse. Such a minimal audience. Yeah, and it was so small anyway in scale. And I, I we talked about in an episode how great they were. You mm-hmm. know, that they, they took you in one at a time, you took orders, and they'd bring them to your chairs. And obviously dividers in between dividers were sometimes cramped but you had your dividers one of the things i saw before we went to see this that i was a bit worried about was that people weren't having their masks enforced yes and that while people were choosing to wear them some people were treating it like once the lights go down you don't have to have it on anymore yeah i didn't actually see anybody do that no we i think that's something they must have caught it on to so before the show began we had one of the ushers step forward. Biggest cheer of the night, funnily enough. Yeah, he, he actually got the biggest round of applause of anything in the show. I really wish we got his name. Yeah, he was fantastic. And, you know, Gillian Lynn Theatre, you know who works there. And you also know who was doing the call mm-hmm. on Saturday the 3rd of July. Mm-hmm. You know who, who, who was there doing it. They were fantastic. I, I think that was a really important way to start, you know, talking about we want these on. If you need to have a sip of your drink, it is a slip and sip. Yes, you I take your mask that. down, you sip, you put your mask back on. Loudest cheer of the night. Mm-hmm. Although that might also have been because he did announce at the start of Act 2 that England were beating their football opponent that night. Yeah, that too. So that might have might have been a play. I think for me, the staff were fantastic in there. 
Mm. You know, um, we had teething issues with with the scanning of the barcode on your phone and the usher letting us in was like, oh, I'm a little out of practice. But you could tell they were just happy to be here again. It wasn't like a hindrance. It was quite nice. The distancing when you get to the bar, when you got to the merch was great. Again, you know, clear stickers, here's where you go. Mm -hmm. My one kind of fault, and this is obviously from my perspective, I feel like the theatre was too busy. Yeah, it was very, very packed. And perhaps that's just my own, like, opening up anxiety. Mm -hmm. But... I don't think they could say it was a socially distanced performance like maybe in your mind you expect because there isn't two metres, you know, behind you and in front of you. And you do have a seat in between you and the person, you know, the next party. I feel like there was just a little too many people in there. Yeah. But that could entirely be, and I'm w very willing to go on record and say that might just be my own kind of anxieties. This is the first time we had been in such a public space since possibly October of 2020. Mm. So I'm, you know, I think that's that's my one kind of criticism of the theatre experience, but the staff were great. Yeah. It certainly felt safer from their perspective, I, I think. Yeah. You know, that was really good. How, how about you? I thought it was okay. I get anxious in big crowds anyway. And going to the theatre is always an interesting experience because I'm always anxious about the amount of people that are there, regardless of the pandemic. Yeah. But this was fine. Yeah. You know, it was fine. Like you say, there was nobody that was, at least from our perspective where we were, nobody who was taking advantage of, like, the honour system with masks, you know? Mm -hmm people had spoken obviously people are exempt and they had their exempt bands like fine but nobody seemed to be taking advantage and it, it was quite a nice environment i think yeah obviously we are not sponsored or paid to say any of this yeah we we paid for our tickets yeah. but overall i would say the actual experience of being back in the theater i i really enjoyed it yeah but like the mvp outside of the show certainly the staff they were fan they really were fantastic so you know andrew lloyd webber if you're listening Congrats. Go pay your staff. Give Con them a raise. Yeah, like, you know, thank them for their hard work. I, I really, really appreciated the staff at the Gillian Lynn Theatre. The other thing I want to talk about is the amount of children that were at this show. Yeah. So now... I, I spoke with one of my colleagues about this, who was like, wow, you've got to see this. What's it like? Do they have kids? Yes. And yeah. that was what they wanted to know is, you know, will my, my daughters like this? And I said, how old? Eight and ten. Mm. And I said, well, it depends on your It depends on, on what language. you're okay with your kids hearing and seeing. Yes, because this is not Cinderella by Walt Disney. No, and sort of the starkest uh, awareness that we had to that was that there was a little girl who was very excited to see the show and she was dressed as the Disney Cinderella. Yes. Now, obviously, you can do whatever you want with a story that is you know, in a free forum, this is a fairy tale, anyone can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. As long as they don't infringe on Disney copyright. Yes. But with the title of Cinderella, with a fairy tale, comes a certain understanding 
that people will assume that this is for children. Yes. Because we live in England where pantomimes of Cinderella are done by the thousands every single year. There, from where I looked in the program and on the website, there is no age warning. There is no rating warning for this show. Yes. And there is some swearing. Well, one of the first lines I wrote down at the start of the interval, you know, act one's happened. I'm going to start writing some notes. Yeah. They make a comparison for Cinderella being an ugly goblin and they say that she couldn't work in a brothel for the blind. Mm-hmm. Which... Might uh, fly over kids' heads? Might fly over kids' heads, but certainly I think some parents who are watching that may not like that they might, you know, if kids are to brothel, that they have to explain that. Some parents probably find it funny. Maybe it is Shrek-esque humour, you know, like, do you think he's compensating for something? Is that humour that will fly over the kids' heads but the adults will enjoy? Or is this something that might become more yeah. of an issue? We also get a line after the very first song where Cinderella turns to the prince and the first thing she says to him is, you bastard. Yeah. And there was like an audible gasp in the audience because I think people were like, oh, Cinderella's swearing. And I know that this is what Andrew Lloyd Webber is going for. He's got this like, not like other girls, Cinderella, who swears and wears Doc Martens and fishnets and we're all supposed to be traumatised. But there was a lot of swearing in this and like the worst one the worst one is she calls the stepmother a bitch yeah that's definitely the worst swear word the other thing that is in this which i wrote down my favorite note is this is magic mike meets merlin yeah because while i greatly enjoyed it and it was hilarious as a child if my mom had taken me to see this when i was like five or six because cinderella she wouldn't have been pleased. No. And there's a really fantastic number called... I, I mean, it, it's combined in Hunk's song and Man's Man in Act One. Yes. Where it is Magic Mike meets uh-huh. Merlin. And the choreography is fantastic. The actors are these gorgeous hunky men. Mm-hmm. And they are using weights and kettlebells. And they are basically running a circuit class. Yeah. But some of the thrusting is, is quite sexualized, And there is one moment where one of the gentlemen uses kettlebells and wiggles them in his crotch as if they are his testicles. It's very akin to Chicago. Yeah. Where it's like hyper-sexualized, but... Gets away with it almost because it is so much and so clearly something else. Yeah. But also there was a, a woman covering her kid's eyes yeah. while we were watching this. So... As Danny says, it depends on what you're willing for your kids to see. I know kids that watch horror movies and think they're funny and like have no problem with that, but can't watch anything PG-13 rated otherwise. I would say that the best thing you can do as a parent when it comes to Cinderella is just do a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's something that the show should make easier for you, especially because it is a brand new show. Like just kind of, you know... In the same way video games have, like, Peggy warnings. Just something that says, you know, mild innuendo, bad language, some sexual humour. Yeah. Know? Something so that you could... You know, you've got the cliff notes and you think, right, well, I am okay with sexual humour. 
mm-hmm. but I'm not okay with the swearing, so maybe this isn't for me. Well, and this is the thing. I'm sure it sounds like I'm clutching my pearls and everything, but, like, if you were taking your kids to this because your 10-year-old loves Carrie Hope Fletcher, yeah. follows her on YouTube and Instagram and thinks she's amazing, not the 10-year-old should have Instagram, and begged you to take her to see this musical and you go thinking oh yeah wholesome youtuber she talks about books and musicals and stuff that's great and then you go and see this and there's swearing and like sexuality in it and stuff that's not the same target audience no and you know like you say we're not saying this is a criticism no we enjoy something people should be aware of yeah and i i think had we gone as parents as opposed to just podcasters, maybe we would have been a lot more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that's something that they do have a responsibility for. Is I, I've got no issue with it. Stick with your vision. If this is your vision, own it, and that is fine. Like it works. It's really, really good. Just be a little bit more open about it. Mm-hmm. It protects you in the long run as well. Like we've talked about storytelling with. Uh, year sevens in drama and talking about how should you as a playwright have to compromise your artistic integrity and it does come down to think about who your your audience is and when you're not fully open with your audience you set yourself up for lawsuits or criticism Mm -hmm. you know we, we all know the turn of phrase that if someone enjoys it they'll tell one person but if somebody doesn't like something they'll tell three people those three people say don't take your kids to see this that's gonna spiral. and we know that mum's net runs the internet so well, yeah that's the thing is they're not the people you want to anger because there are a lot of parents who really do put effort into parenting their children and they do want to make sure that things are age appropriate mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that no i think you've got to help them with that so if you want to watch an age appropriate cinderella Go and watch the Rodgers and Hammersteins version yeah. <laughs> with Whitney Houston. Now, yeah, we've talked... It sounds like we've been quite negative. We've talked about like the age issues. It does. Now we're going to talk about how much we enjoyed it, though. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, Note-wise, this was a difficult one to do because, obviously, we don't have the ability to look at the songs there. And then we also ne- didn't necessarily have the time to do it. So I, I started off... The first thing I did when at the end of each th- uh, act was I, I, I wrote down all the songs, just one, two, three, four, five. So for Act 1, there's 14. And for Act 2, there's, there's 15 songs. And I scored them. Yeah. And looking at it now, nothing got... Well, nothing that had lyrics got below a three. Yeah. There's quite a few five out of five songs for me on this. See, that's really good. Yeah. I... I tried to frantically write down as many quotes as I could remember. Because yes. that's the kind of thing that sticks with me and helps me remember what was going on. And my memory is famously bad. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I write down, like... And then I, once I'd done that, I went song by song. So, you know, I had my programme. Yeah. And I was going song by song. So what action happened? Now, obviously, at this point, definitely a spoiler alert is in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From this point on, if you don't want to know anything about the plot... Or the characters, or anything. Yeah, like, I'll start by saying, I enjoyed this one, I'd recommend it. I will give my star rating traditionally later at the end. Yeah, skip to the last five minutes of the episode, if you just want to hear what we 
start it. But certainly at this point, if you just want to know our thoughts before you go and see this one yourself, I enjoyed it. I think you'll have a great time if you're a parent. You know, just prepare your kids. So, song one, Buns and Roses. What a great way to start. Yes, this song is like Who Will Buy from Oliver. Yeah. But fairy tale version. And I think, right, so... I'm oh, all... you just immediately are in with the innuendos. It's yeah. just occurred to me. Yeah. It's like straight away. How so? Yeah, we see, we see three milkmaids and half a cow, which that honestly was hilarious to yes. me. That they have half a cow. That's just the part that they need. And they're uh, squeezing milk into a bucket, but they're singing about, like, bosoms, yeah. basically. And, like... They've got a lot of cleavage yes, going on. There's there's a very real objectification here. Mm-hmm. And then I'm I was, at this point I'm like, oh god, <sighs> oh god, what are we in for? Yeah. And then we get the hot bun guy. Yeah. And now, I tell you what, at least everyone is objectified. Exactly the same way. Yeah. Fine. I'm, Incredible. It, it makes me feel a lot happier with it because like everyone is treated the same through this gaze, and that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like. If it was just the female characters, then they're slimy and creepy. The men are there. Oh to be no, it's Googled. all slimy and creepy. Oh yeah, it, oh, of course it is. <laughs> but it's more slimy and creepy if just one group is objectified. At least we're slimy and creepy with everyone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it makes it easier to laugh at it because they're all all in on the joke, as opposed to just let's laugh at these sexy women, and mm-hmm. then we have this kind of lame nerdish hot bun guy like i will say this hot bun bit so this was released just the hot buns guy was released on instagram as a short clip in camden market yeah on easter yeah for easter with hot cross buns and it was weird and everybody thought at the time that this was just a joke that they'd made yes but and then they found out it was in the show and were like oh god but actually in the context of this song it's pretty funny yeah i really liked this one and we learn that Belleville has been the most gorgeous town 49 years in a row. Yeah, it's like village of the year. Yeah, it, think Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Everything they do is for the greater good. The greater good. And they're here today for the unveiling of Prince Charming's statue. Prince mm-hmm. Charming has presumably died in battle. And we That's have... what they're saying, yes. He sadly died in battle. And Prince Sebastian is not as popular as his older brother. No. There's quite a nice few moments here where, you know, we cross cut and we hear the crowd and they're just like, oh, he's kind of a dweeb. We're not really into him. He doesn't make us feel that way about him, you know. Like they're not just... Yeah, not... there's like lines about how they make... Like Prince Charming was so sexy, but Prince... Sebastian, I keep wanting to call him just Ivano. Yeah. Um, Prince Sebastian just makes them feel depressed, which is really sad because this kid is adorable. Oh, he's so cute. He's 21. And unfortunately, he got injured performing and he isn't in it at the moment. He which injured his hand. Which is a shame because he was very talented. He's incredible. He's 21. He's straight out of drama school and he was a dancer first. And yeah. like. And and he's got a really bright future ahead of him. Mm-hmm. I, I I really think I want to see him in so many more things. Oh, hundred percent! Like he's somebody who I'm going to be uh, following, following mm-hmm. as much as I can. I do like the the 
anti-Prince sentiment. I think it's not overdone, but it's enough to set the world. Mm-hmm. And we unveil the statue and it has been defaced and they have lost their crown of the, the, the best looking village, best looking town. But yeah, it, all they needed to do was unveil this statue and they would win. But obviously it's been defaced. It's got... Right. Yeah. It has a feather boa around its neck. Oh, first of all, it's a really ugly statue. This, as a set piece, I didn't like it. The rest of the town, and a lot of people talked about how the the front of the village that is shown at the beginning looked really cardboardy. But it's literally never there again. We never see that again. It's just there for that one scene. And it's more to cover the cast coming on for the opening number. Yes. But the actual set for the town, when it's on, it's really nice. All the little shop fronts and the, yeah. the market square is really, really nice. And then this ugly statue that looks like it was made out of plasticine and then yeah. spray-painted gold anyway has a feather boa, a bra around it, and then it has like lingerie and stockings spray-painted on it, which... I went into this knowing what the twist of this musical was. Yeah. And knowing that at the end, spoilers, Prince Charming is revealed to be a gay man. We know at this point that Cinderella has done this. This feels homophobic. <laughs> because now, I've I seen that kind of imagery s- before to be homophobic. Yeah. I, I think the only saving grace, Cinderella doesn't know that Prince Charming is gay. The only yeah, way nobody does. Nobody does. So it's not like she's mocking him by this. It certainly looks worse when you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it is worse because they know where this is going. Yes, that's the issue here is that, and I think this is true of all media, when you put this kind of thing in, but you don't intend for your main character to be a homophobe yeah. or like a racist or whatever they're going for with these plot lines, yeah. when eventually it comes out that that character is gay, your char- your main character now is a homophobe. Yeah. Regardless of whether they knew or not before, because the writers did. That's just I think a choice. There's, there's, it's there's a choice. a better way to graffiti it. Yeah, she could have graffitied, like, an angry face onto him or made him look really sad and put, like, I don't know, fake or plastic. If she'd written plastic across the front of the statue, that would have had a point to it. Right, so this is the thing. I think, regardless, all of this opening sequence was setting... And and the next few songs we're going to discuss set me up to believe that Cinderella's the villain. Cinderella is the villain in this. But if you had something, like, plastic or fake... I would believe like, oh, I get more she's so that like, she's making a political statement. And mm. like, yes, this is the wrong way to do it, but she's misguided and doesn't want to live in a fake world. Mm-hmm. Fine. There's better ways to do it, I guess. You know, you could strap a pillow and put a t-shirt on that was like fat and fake or something, you know? Yeah. Which is still bad taste, but like the true Prince Charming, you know, fat and real. Or mm-hmm. something, just something. Because obviously the whole point is he's got these amazing abs yeah uh, yeah it, it, it's not great but it's... so the note i wrote here is the village people yes. are straight up willing to murder cinderella yeah. and first of all i refuse to call them anything other than the village people because this is an incredibly gay musical yes. without meaning to be 
I he did not do this on purpose. Get serious. Uh, I say we kill the beast vibes. Absolutely. They get their pitchforks and their wives. Yes, this is basically the mob song from yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it is. Has a very smooth intro and they're all angry we're going to get Cinderella and they get to, you know, back to this village square and the village people see that Cinderella is now on the statue, making it worse. And I do like Cinderella just saying, oh, were you looking for me? I think it's a very cool introduction to her character. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm just thinking, oh, she's the villain. And this is where we get bad Cinderella. And I really like it. I like the interactions, you know, the way they pick her up and they're, they're moving her about and, you know, carrying her into the woods. Yes. Bad Cinderella is a good song. And I think I enjoyed it more seeing it live than seeing it as an advert. Yeah, me too. I got so sick of the advert. And I know that, you know, it it decides what adverts you get based on your interests. And I watch a lot of musical theatre stuff. So obviously I get all the musical adverts. I'm really enjoying the Phantom advert that's on at the moment. Mm Where you just get the slow pan through the theatre and you don't actually see anything until yeah. you get to the mask at the end. Incredible. However, I have heard Carrie Hope Fletcher belt her heart out on I Know I Have a Heart and Bad Cinderella a thousand, thousand times. And, and I'm so sick of it. And there is an do lose that impact when you finally see I Know I Have yes. a Heart now. It has lost that impact because of that. And Bad Cinderella here... The only parts of it that I was really engaged in were the parts with the village people because they that was new to me. I haven't heard that part yeah. before. I, I do really like the context and the choreography for this sequence. I think it's a really well-staged sequence. Yep. It ends with Cinderella tied to a post, tied to a tree, and the priest appearing like he's going to burn her. Yeah, burn the witch. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's... What it felt like, but no, they just leave her. They leave her for the wolves. And this is the point at which the spray can disappears. Yes, and we never see it again. We never see it again, which begs the question, why is the spray can all over this merchandise? Well, it's the logo, isn't it? And... But we... If if she all the way through this... This sounds like I'm being really negative. This just comes from a place of, this is what my brain was doing for the rest of the show. It was like trying to figure out where the spray can had gone. And... Because we never see it again. Like, I wish she'd got the ball gown, the, the actual ball gown for the ball, and she'd been like, this isn't me. And spray-painted And spray-painted something, like a design onto it. And that could have been a really cool lighting design or something, yes. you know? But we just never see it again. No, <laughs> and like, it's okay. one of those, it's a shame, because I quite like that graffiti motif, but mm. it, we don't get more of it. And it's a shame because of how prominent it is in the merchandising, in yes. the promotion. You bought me a lovely mask. I did. I got you and... one of the uh, graffiti face coverings and you made the mistake of wearing it the wrong way. Yep, which is definitely a mistake. Not you look like mistake. Peter Griffin. Yeah. But it's the only way that I realised that the uh, the shape... is supposed to be a heart. supposed to be a heart. And not Aladdin's trousers. Yeah. <laughs> we go to the Flirty Banter song, which is so long, which is between Prince Sebastian and Cinderella. And this is where we really really start to see some deviation in the Cinderella story. Yes. Because Cinderella and the Prince are old friends. They know each other. They've grown up together. They're very close. Mm-hmm. There is no 
uh, separation between the pair of them. This is, you know, quite interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, yeah, we didn't get the opening where Cinderella's a pariah, but you can kind of imagine she would be, you know, whereas everyone else gets to live this fairy tale kingdom. You have <laughs> that girl who, who sweeps cinders. <laughs> it's Cinderella. She's a pariah. And you can imagine that stepsisters probably spread that reputation through mm. town. Oh, just interestingly, because you said that, the girl that sweeps cinders, somebody pointed out to me that in the lyrics of Bad Cinderella, she sings, Bad Cinderella, comma, Cinderella is the catty name they call me. Yes. Which would lead one to believe that her name isn't Cinderella. But the prince is calling her Cinderella. But it is. Yeah. It's just an interesting... I mean, it's obviously in there because... We needed to fill that bar, you know. So it's bad it's Cinderella, Cinderella. She's just repeating herself. Yeah. But it just, if you think about it too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the point of the show. We'll say it once again. Obviously. I'm sure. Yeah, Flirty Band song's great. But then we go into Unfair, which yes. is the song with the stepsisters. And they are great. The stepsisters are incredible. They are the most underutilised part of this show. Yep. They are hilarious. We have Georgina Castle and Laura Baldwin, who are both absolutely just the funniest duo in yep. this show. But we have the best line from them. They're complaining about Cinderella and about how difficult their lives are. Because, because they've lost this um, village of the year thing, they are no longer getting any of their funding. They're not going to get tourist visits anymore. So their entire town is just going to die, basically. Yes. So they're complaining about the fact that she's killed their town. And also the fact that they'll be guilty because like, they are Cinderella's stepsisters. stepsisters. And they say, other people get really nice stepsisters. Why are we stuck with this ugly goblin? <laughs> Which was the best thing. Yeah anyone said in this show is so funny we have actually seen laura baldwin before yes indeed we have she was dawn in waitress yeah she was and i have seen georgina castle in 95 yeah in the tour and also laura baldwin was in big fish when i saw that too yes so Two very, very these people. good actors. I really enjoyed them. I really love the concept that they can't slash won't share with each other. You know, <laughs> there's a nice moment where it's, you know, oh, I would share it if you gave it to me. Oh, yeah, by the way, can I have this back? No, because it suits me better. Like, yeah. it, there's some really nice interplay, the double standards. The stepmother. So this bit was really interesting to me because, again, it, it, it built into the idea for me that this is almost like Twisted, that... Everyone else is good and Cinderella's like this this Aladdin, you know? Yeah. The stepmother comes in and she kicks out Cinderella because, like, you can't live under my roof if you do this. And, and on the surface, that's a really nasty thing for the stepmother to do. Mm -hmm. But because Cinderella is all like, oh, I guess I better apologise. And I'll be honest, it's a very half-assed apology. It's not... It's half assed is generous. Yeah, like this is an apology that if I was with a student, I'd be like, right, you need to go calm down and come back in a moment <laughs> Walk and apologize away from like me. you mean it. But the stepmother relents straight away that it's almost like it gives the stepmother this almost like, you know, okay, I've reflected and I know you're a, you're a girl and you won't survive on your own. And fine, just please stay. It, well, it, we find out some stuff later on yeah. as well that means the stepmother is acutely aware of what Cinderella, what will happen to Cinderella if she has nowhere to go. Yes, 
But so at this point, her accepting quite a weak apology and just saying, that's fine, you can stay here, was kind of like, okay, so are we seeing you as the bad guy because Cinderella sees you as the bad guy? Or are you actually as bad as you are? And yes, she will be as bad. I just thought it was very interesting. I'm very on the fence at this point. Who is the villain? Are we seeing Cinderella as the Cinderella. villain? Yeah. Up to this point, based on everything that happened up to this point, I was like, oh, she's the villain. That's a really cool twist. Yeah. Have the villain be our main character. It's very wicked, you know? Call me bad Cinderella. Yeah, why not? But yes, I do wonder how often they dance this dance, that it must be a case of this is a near nightly occurrence for them Mm -hmm. we go to unbreakable and i will be completely honest by the time we got to the interval i'd forgotten this song and all that happened with it in this sequence yeah mostly because nothing happens while she sings this and that in certain circumstances is very powerful if you think about the wizard and i Stands at the front of the stage on her own, sings that song and engages us because she's speaking to the audience. Whereas this song is so internalised by Cinderella and by Carrie as the performer. Like, nothing is happening. She's scrubbing the floor for a part of it and then she just sits. (laughs) Yeah, it was very, very forgettable for me. And that's not a criticism on, like, I guess the performance. I think it's more just the song. It's very overpowered by what comes next. Yes, yeah, and this is where we get Hunk's song slash man's man. Yep. Amazing sequence. I, I love the line we get from the Queen where she says, the smell of testosterone. And one of the men says, shall I open a window? And she replies, going, no. I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's really like, it's a really tongue-in-cheek, over-the-top sequence. You know, like, this is a nice kind of reversal because if this was his dad, his dad would have all these beautiful women who are dressed like un- underdressed yeah yeah and i like that the idea in this is that we have the queen with like her warriors dressed in barely anything and i get that it's supposed to be a subversion of expectation but now that you've said that it's made me think about how creepy that is i know and i it is because it's creepy. such a double standard it is such a double standard but Especially knowing that there are people in the audience who did not sign up for this, you know? Have I made you like this sequence less? A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's a really... I think the music is great with this one. I will say, the costume design for the Queen is the best costume design in the show. Yes. She has a dress here that is in the sort of French boudoir style. Yes. Which Belle's dress for Beauty and the Beast should have been. Yes. Like, that's what it should look like. And I'm not going to rant about it, don't worry. And it sort of opens at the front so that she can dance, but you can also see all her stockings and, you know. Yeah. But it's white and then it, like, opens and it's got, like, red feathers all inside It's a really so great cool. sequence yeah. and a really great bit of costuming. Um, I did think that it's very much felt at times like the music was very, like, we fit. You know, <laughs> especially with her hunk song. It, it felt like the music you get when you were doing the boxing on we fit or the step sequences yeah i i I personally i think more shows need kettlebells and medicine balls as part of the choreography Mm -hmm. but maybe they'd be less special this really is a great sequence to watch because it isn't what you typically expect from like musical yeah 
it uses a lot of props and a lot of props effectively within this world. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact you see people doing like bicep curls and you've got them doing like press ups and it was a really fun scene. Like you say, it's Magic Mike, the musical. Yes. We meet our three main men. Yes. So we have three of the knights who appear over and over again as a trio, but they're called Dorian, Gawain and Arthur, yes. which is hilarious. Oh yeah, it's like we, we wanted one you know, more normal name, because Arthur does really stand out as, like... But Gawain's the one that... Gawain is the one that stands out. I don't think Dorian's that normal. I mean, that's a round table night. <laughs> I liked these guys. I thought they were fantastic. Yeah. Oh, they were great. And Giovanni Spano, we love you. Yeah, no, thank you for... He was going and, like, oh... Yeah, he was he was one of I think he was my favourite of the Warriors three. Yeah. And we had I a like bit Dorian's of interaction. <laughs> yeah, I I like Dorian's hair, but we had some interaction with uh Giovanni. Yeah, he Spano tweeted us, it was great. And <laughs> yeah, I, he was my favourite because there's a lot he does and we'll talk about it as we get through, but there's a lot he does on stage, which is great. Mm -hmm. Uh the treatment of Sebastian is really sad in this sequence. None of the men kind of respect him. They, you know, he doesn't have the same muscle or looks that they do. And it, there is a lot of toxic masculinity currently in Belleville. Yeah. And it's, it is one of those ones that there's like a twinge of sadness that this is a, a song taken for comedy. Had this progressed to have like a really sinister edge at the end, you know, it's all well and good until it's like explicitly like this is not okay. I wish there was just a little bit more something sinister at the end, you know? Yeah. But we get some plot here. There is to be a royal wedding and a ball. And at this ball, the prince will decide upon a bride who he will marry the next day. And he's really not happy by this arrangement. Obviously. It's the only thing that can restore the town's reputation because everyone will forget about the nastiness. We make a lot of references to the fact that the last time the town lost, so 50 years ago, they beheaded their ruler. Like the townspeople revolted and they beheaded the uh, king at the time. Like, oh my God, okay. This seems to be like a bit far for... Uh... Yeah, but then, you know, look at Hot Fuzz. People take... Or Cinderella, yeah, you people know. People take it very seriously. We go to So Long Reprise and Introduction to Only You, Lonely You. You know, Ivano Turco is so talented. Yes, so talented. The crux of their interactions here, we're seeing, is it's obviously like very much a uh, where well, it is. It's a reprise to so long. It's the same kind of structure, but whereas before it was all flirty banter, this one is I blame you, Cinderella. Your hijinks have put me in this. You didn't think of anyone but yourself. Your actions have repercussions, and in this instance, on me, and that's not fair. Mm -hmm. And I like that. And you know, we see the first kind of humility from Cinderella where she does say, look, I'm sorry. Yes. I did. And that's what I'm starting to think about. She does. Yeah. Until he mentions that he's going to get married. Right. And then she's really mean to him. But there's a great bit before then. There's a really great bit before then where Cinderella hears royal wedding and she assumes it's going to be because the queen is marrying one of those Greek god wannabes. And uh, when she says, who is she marrying? And he's like, oh, no, no, you don't understand, it's me. And then <laughs> she says, <laughs> you're marrying your own mother is a really great kind of sequence. He's like, no, you're li not listening to me. So I did like their interplay there. I thought that was a nice yeah. delivery. 
this is the sort of thing though. Obviously, Ivano is 21. He, he looks very young. I keep calling him like a really talented kid because I'm I'm 26. I'm not that much older than him, but he look he's so baby-faced. No, and it's... and it sort of begs the question, how old is Sebastian? Well, marrying age. I I, well, I mean I completely agree with you. It's like I feel weird. I've been talking football with the kids this week and obviously the England team is remarkably young. Like one of the better players is 19 and for me it's like you know That's a child. That's a, exactly that's a child and I'm talking to him like he's just a kid and they they haven't put two and two together yet because like they're 11 or 12 and they're like oh, oh if you're weird. 19 you're like a grown-up yeah. yeah and if you're doing this then you're a grown-up it's like trust me he's a kid and it's the same and i think especially because i know that carrie hope Fletcher is older i believe she's the same age as me ish yeah 25 26 how old is the character of sebastian how old is the character of Cinderella? I assume that they're supposed to be the same age. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been yeah, you know, that's what childhood I'm, I was friends. Hoping, but it's, it's, it's just... It's so weird. But she, and I don't mean this rude. She does look older. Because you've got such a young actor playing Sebastian. He really does look young. There's nothing you can everyone. do about it. She no. just is older than him. And you've just got to accept it. Uh, and it's fine. I don't think it hinders it for me. But, again, knowing the twist... I didn't know Prince Charming was coming back. So knowing the twist, I was expecting it to be Sebastian. So this next song did confuse me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then made me think like, do I know the twist? Oh, you thought Sebastian was going to turn out to yes. be gay. All right, okay. So we go into Only You, Lonely You. And you can really hear the Disney in this one. So you told mm-hmm. me that the uh, lyricist worked for Disney, did a lot of Disney, Golden Age. You could hear that in this song. Yeah, we've got David Zappel writing this. And yeah, this is very Hercules, 90s ingenue boy. Now, you said how there are some songs, like The Wizard and I, where nothing else is happening on stage. It's just a performance and it sticks with you. Mm -hmm. That song here, yes. I agree. This was so powerful. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Like, performance of the night. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. This isn't my best song, but no, this is like the, such a contender. But it's one of the best performances mm-hmm. of the night. Because there's a real vulnerability and a rawness because he's like, I'm in love with Cinderella, but I don't know how to say it. And it just, there's so much more to that song that I can't adequately cover. I just really loved it. I was so captivated by his performance here. Mm-hmm. I I... Sebastian's the main character in this. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. 100%. We've talked about this extensively. And we'll talk about it at the end of this episode extensively as well, I'm sure. But Sebastian's the, the, the main lead, character. Yeah. Uh, we go to I Know You. Yes. Oh, oh my God. This is great. So Victoria Hamilton Barrett, who plays the stepmother, is doing this great voice and she sounds like... Oh, it's so good. aging starlet. It's so textured and so interesting. She's incredible. And then you've got that contrasted with Rebecca Trayon, who's playing the queen, who is just this like little bubbly, like she's like a fairy in a bottle, you know, like all of that trapped manic energy in one place. And it's, they're just so hilarious together. This is like... The best duo in this. And I know I love the stepsisters. There's a lot two. of really good duos in this, which is weird that there's something that rank above Sebastian and Cinderella. Yeah. But 
one of the things I like pre this song is where you know her assistant, her planner, is like saying, "You've got to make cuts. You can't have forty songs." And the Queen replies with, I have made cuts to hospitals and orphanages. Now get me my 40 swans or your head will be on a pike somewhere. Yeah. Priorities. Yep. I know you. That, that can't, can't be. be. She's a lovely girl who danced with me all those years ago. What was it? 95? 85. <laughs> I liked this sequence because it's very much like there's... And I like that there's a sordid past for both these characters that we don't know about. Yeah, so we it's, learn here yeah. that the stepmother used to be a trapeze artist in the circus and the queen used to work in a brothel yeah. and just got lucky, basically. Yeah. It's a really ni- nice sequence. You know, I didn't yeah. pick up on that. So I think that the performance is great and it's like ambiguous enough that you just know that there's something sordid. Mm-hmm. We also get the discussion of uh, blackmail. So... it's um, an ugly word. Well, for the, for the daughter's queen... No, that's what she says. Oh, it is, isn't it? Say, she says, oh, you're blackmailing me. Oh, no, that's an ugly word, darling. Yes, so it's going to be that I know you and I will tell everyone your past if you don't ensure that Sebastian marries one of my daughters. Mm-hmm. Now... At this point, I also knew there was something about the godmother. And I didn't know what. You had told me the godmother had been done in a way I wasn't going to expect. I have a lot to say about that. But before we get there, we're going to talk within the sequence of stepmother and queen still. Because the stepmother says to the queen that your son has taken a liking to my servant girl. Yes. So... The Queen is like, great, that's a great article. Oh my God. Rags to riches story. Rags to riches, everyone loves that. And I thought that the Queen was going to become the fairy godmother for Cinderella because everyone loves a rags to riches story. Oh, so it's going to be like a Christmas Prince 2 or... um... The prince in me, like, she needs to be turned into a princess for this to work. Well, I thought what it was going to be was that the stepmother was going to be, like, blackmail, you know, you do this. And then the queen was going to go do her own thing anyway. And when she realised the servant girl was Cinderella, she was like, oh, no, even I can't swing this. She has to be a princess because everyone hates this girl. Yeah, not going to lie, though. That would have been, like, a really interesting plot take. Yeah. Like, if it had been, she gets there to meet this servant girl and is like, oh, it's you. Oh, well that, well, that won't do. That won't work. We need to, like, completely redo you. Yes. And once once the land has fallen in love with your love, then we can we can come clean. Yeah, I mean, once everyone's like, what? Who is she? What is her name? We can be like, it's Cinderella. We'll talk we extensively about, you know, the, the plot itself and, you know, things we might do. But yes, that was something I really thought was going that way. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. Oh my God. So, this is a note that I wrote down about scenes that are set in the forest. Yeah. First of all, we have a really nice fly that comes in that's all these like tangled interwoven branches. Lovely. But we also have the return of the menopause stump. Yeah. <laughs> which is one of my favourite jokes ever made by the wonderful Mr. Musical Mash. Um, who runs Jim and Tomic's musical podcast, yeah. which if you don't listen to already, you should go and check out. Because Tommy, who is Tomic, makes the joke that in Into the Woods, when they did the stage musical, when you run to the front of the stage, there's like a little stump there. Yeah. 
And so you would call it the menopause stump because you go there for a great change in your life. <laughs> and that happens over and over again in Cinderella. Every time something big happens in Sebastian's life, yeah. he heads to the menopause stump. He does. And Cinderella does too. Yeah. Uh, we go to the village square and the euphoria is great here. Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly all the ladies of the village want Sebastian. What have they also done? They've all had like plastic surgery or yes. like hair. They've all had their hair dyed yeah. blonde. There's a lot of blondes everywhere and a couple of the girls have had nose jobs. Uh, and I think the personalities here really make it clear why Cinderella doesn't want to be part of it and doesn't want to fit in because... They are so shallow. Mm -hmm. And I think as we're into this world more, I start to appreciate Cinderella's stance a lot more. Yeah. And, you know, when you have things like suddenly they're flirting with him and you get lines like, how much money does he make? How many? How, ma <laughs> how many boys? How many girls? <laughs> how much is gold? How much is bronze? You know, yeah. like the parts of the noses are great. You know, this is a fun little sequence. And then we get unfair reprise. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a really nice way to mirror unfair. But, you know, the stepmother is a lot less kind. It's clear that the world is the problem here. You know, the way they're interacting. And then I think we go to a fantastic final set piece. Mm -hmm. Kind of disappointing that this is the only set piece we get but we we get the fairy godmother sequence right i have so much to say just about the set of this first of all we did run into an issue which was that because the scene before it is in the parlor of cinderella's well cinderella's house cinderella's yes. house um we could see the set pieces behind it I don't know whether that was because we were to the side or if it had been set wrong, but yeah, we could, could already see, see some of the we could see the glass slippers yeah. from where we were sat. Which was unfortunate because the next thing they reveal is this incredible parlour of this like boudoir yeah. I don't know, makeover store where you've got all of these glass cabinets with things in. But also, as the revolve comes around, because the use of the revolve in this is actually pretty decent. Yeah. You have actresses dressed as mannequins in these, like, perfect, pristine white ball gowns. They're wearing white, like, zoot suits. Yeah. What's the term that I want? I don't know. Morph, Morph suits. suits. With white wigs, like you would see on mannequins yes. in, like, H&M. I actually thought they were mannequins as well. Like, that's how powerful it was, because I didn't know they were actors. So they are stood, posed like mannequins, and they don't move for, like, a solid two-minute scene until we get to the song. Yeah. But, yeah, oh, my God, this, this whole, the lighting and the set piece for this. The lighting is great, because it's, like, so black nice. and, like, these really sharp white lights. Yeah. Um... And then we meet the most underutilised character. 100% most underutilised character. So the fairy godmother in this runs a boutique. She does plastic surgery. She makes girls look pretty for She's a price. She's a crazy scientist. Yes. Yeah. Definitely more Henry Higgins. You know? Higgins. No, from... Um, guy who Professor like Higgins. Yeah, yeah okay, I'm right, cool. you're wrong. Uh, I wasn't sure what you meant. Definitely very Henry Higgins in the fact that, you know, this is evil scientist territory and makes a deal with Cinderella yep. that they will make her look pretty for a price. 
The and price is her happiness. The price is her happiness, and that takes the form of a, a necklace, which is the only thing her mother has left her. Mm-hmm. And we previously seen that she refuses to give it to the stepsisters. Yes. So this is a big ask. Here's my question. Living in this town, right, Cinderella knows that a lot of the girls go and get plastic surgery or, you know, enhancement surgery, whatever yeah. we want to call it. And she knows that there's this one boutique that they will go to to get that. Why does she think the godmother is magic? I don't think she does. She does. She's lying. Where she says to her, is it magic? And she's like, no. <laughs> like, this is, the I godmother's don't... like, what are you talking about? No, it's not magic. I don't know. I didn't pick up on that line, I have to admit. This is a really interesting sequence. So, yeah, the fairy godmother starts doing the plastic surgery and we see, like, giant needles and a big, like, white lab coat as a song. This is a great song. Mm -hmm. You know, very, very interesting, powerful visuals, good way to end. And, again, it's one of those I think you really do have to see it to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Spoiler-free as much as possible as well. I really liked the sequence. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really lovely way to end Act One, but I love the the rules that okay, I've done a temporary fix for you. You come back because the balls tonight. Come back in a week and I'll do everything. But you have to leave by midnight because you are going to be in some serious agony. Yeah. So so she's put her in a really nice ball gown. I do like the design for the ball gown and the reveal of the ball gown and her new blonde hair is a really good reveal. Yeah. Because the initial photography for the ball gown was a Marie Antoinette costume because it was going to be, what I can infer, it was going to be a masked ball. Yes. So she dresses Marie Antoinette to make a point, I think. Um, And they got rid of that. And thank God, because this dress is gorgeous. Yeah, it's a really gorgeous dress. She's wearing a corset, which is a point that the godmother is making is like, hey, we could take out a couple of your ribs so that you're like we can make you fit this corset really nicely yeah. but i can't do that right now so for now we're just going to have to pull this corset really tight and the glass slippers because of the way that they're made the sides of them where you put your feet in cut into her feet yeah so she literally tells her if you don't get home by midnight you will have permanent damage and you'll be in a lot of pain so go and that's a nice way to because there is no magic here. it's just a nice way for the rules yeah and that's the end of Act 1. Great visual, off we go. Mm-hmm. Act 2, I think, has some really nice moments, but musically is weaker at points. But there's some lovely set pieces and lovely moments here. Yes, we get the opening, which is... We get the entr'acte, and then we get the Cinderella waltz, right. which... What I will say about the entr'acte is... One of my favourite bits is you would turn around and you said to me is... An American audience would not enjoy this. They would not understand this no no well no but because you've got the really panto thing of everyone in the audience was clapping along to it and it's just like right so the (sighs) they were playing bad cinderella and a bit of only you yeah but it was more upbeat because it's just getting us ready to watch act two but the entire audience has sat there like you know as an only a british audience would do yeah because we're all crazy, obviously. And yes, we do go into the Cinderella waltz, which is just a lovely waltz, a very well choreographed waltz between. It's a the very nice callback to Rodgers and Hammerstein. It it's definitely a direct reference. The dancing is very precise, very elegant, and it has to be. The only criticism I have before we move into what you're about to say is just that the orchestration here sounds so generic. This could be any version of Cinderella. It's because it's Rodgers and Hammerstein. But that's what I mean is, 
do something with it. Something new. Yeah, he's it doesn't trying... sound like a new musical from 2021. Yeah, so Andrew Lloyd Webber has said that this song is an homage to the Rodgers and Hammerstein. This piece of music plays its function. Yes. Which is that as Act 2 begins, the revolve begins. And people have been talking about this for a long time. This happened as well with Cats. Worked a little bit differently with Cats. But basically, the front ten or so rows in the audience are sat on a huge revolve that is also underneath the stage. So when the revolve begins, the stage spins round so that it's in the middle of the entire audience and the audience seats, that first 10 or so rows, end up where the stage was. Yes. Which is incredible to watch. Mm -hmm. However, (laughs) I was watching to see what the reactions of the people were like. You do sort of lose interest in the the dance that's going on because everybody's just watching this amazing feat of the stage turning around but which is why it's choreographed like that yeah but a lot of the audience are sat there staring into the wings trying to see backstage yes which is exactly what i would be doing say like that's the one thing is i think if i did i'd be more trying to see what else is going on yeah uh you are now in a traverse style stage setup. so what's the difference because i when i explained this to people i said it was in the round no in the round is um in the round you don't have exits or entrances in the conventional way it's very difficult to get people on stage and off stage in the round you you are literally a circle or an arena seating think like a wrestling ring or a boxing ring or even a football pitch where you have an audience all around you Right, Traverse so... is more catwalk, and that's what this is. And you still do have a very clear entrance and exit. Yeah. Because the way the stage revolves and ends up is in the position where we actually came in from to take our seats. So Carrie Hope Fletcher has had to go through the lobby, through the kind of entryway to the theatre to come in and make her entrance here. And the actors will leave that way as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, I would say it was a traverse. But as a scene, it's great. I would love to have those seats for that revolve. But I think at the end of the day, as as a beautiful kind of moment, it works. Yeah. Would I be distracted in the audience? So some of the notes that I wrote down while I was thinking about this part afterwards was my brain was just so full of the previous scene that I was thinking about, Cinderella had this one line where she said, why did I resist this for so long? And then we see all the girls coming out and dancing. And yes, they're all beautiful, stunning girls, like incredible, you know, performers. But why Why is this the two choices? Yeah. Why are these my options? I can either be this completely vapid, girly girl who only thinks about their looks and how rich their husband is going to be, or this horrible girl who thinks it's okay to destroy the fortunes of a whole town. Yeah. Like, those are my options. I, yeah. So the Cinderella was... Musically, we've not had a great start to act two. We go into the ball, and mm-hmm. I think the music is good. Like, the interplay's fun, and the lyrics are fun. It's the one-liners... This is where some of the best one-liners Yeah, it's happen. the one-liners here in the gaps that scene that are great. So we get... Um, Mother Superior agrees. I'm technically still a virgin. Mm-hmm. How not... much money do you actually make? Because I'm trying to decide whether it's worth it or not. Yep. Not a big deal. 
I promised my firstborn to rumple still skin. It could happen to anyone. Made that was my favourite line. Yep. Um Mother says I shouldn't mention the baker. So that's one of the stepsisters. <laughs> I shouldn't mention the baker or how hot he is. Yes. And then the other stepsister, this is the best right, one. Right, so this is this is the other stepsister. This is um Marie. Marie. Mm-hmm. I like this bit. She says, I can get both my legs behind my head. And I have daddy issues. Is that good? For you it is. Yeah. Yeah, there's some really good one-liners here. And I really like it. And this is obviously the backdrop is, you know, Sebastian dances with somebody and then moves on to a next person. And they have these one-liners, dance, move on. Really fun little sequence. And then Cinderella shows up. Mm-hmm. And the use of the lighting and the revolve is sublime. This is very cinematic. It is. Everything is still. So they are both standing opposite each other. The lights are light, you know, they light up and they revolve. And everyone's watching. It's like the whole world is still. And this is this beautiful moment, you know, that, that moment of true love. You first see someone. And this is where I think the use of Cinderella is at its best. Mm-hmm. And it's the only reason why I'm happy that this is Cinderella and not generic fairy tale musical. Everyone at this moment expects Prince Sebastian to be like, this oh, is she's the, girl. the one, I will dance with her. And he instead stops. And when everything, when this whole moment stops, he says, oh God, not another one of those bimbos and goes back to the party. And that as a moment is so brilliant because it goes against everything we were expecting mm-hmm. from this story. And, and yeah, this is the moment at which I realised that this is the only version of Cinderella I've ever watched where she willingly and knowingly yeah. changes herself for the prince. Yes. So Regardless she, of it being Prince Charming, yeah. she changes everything about herself and likes it, but she's doing it for him. Yes. So during the so long reprise in Act 1, you know, when they're talking to each other as friends... He is insistent, I want you that, I want you there. And she's like, no, I'm not going to a ball. It's not my scene. He goes, but mm-hmm. I want you there. I need you there. Because he's in love with Cinderella and he can't tell her. And then when Cinderella hears during Unfair Reprise, everyone talking about how, oh yeah, like, <laughs> go for his money. And she's like, that's not fair on Sebastian. I, I, do you know what? I'm going to go to the ball so that he picks me because, you know, then at least we'll just be friends, you know, and he won't be exploited. Well, no, it's because she is in love with him. She's well, in love but... with him, but she's rationalising that way mm-hmm. so he's not exploited. So, yeah, you're right. This is the only version where she changes and it does not work because the prince doesn't recognise her. And I love that as we're creeping closer towards midnight, you see the facade drop, step family twig, and they conspire to distract the prince, which is really great. They all know it's like, that's Cinderella. It you... really winds me up in other versions where they don't know it's yeah. her. You can see that she starts limping and holding like her ribs in pain, and they're just like, stop. If the prince gets to her, he will twig at this point. He will know. We've just got to distract. And Adele kisses him just as he's about to realise it's Cinderella. And the Incredible. Queen, yeah. And the queen announces... Prince Sebastian has made his choice. We have a queen, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And the heartbreak, the moment of heartbreak on Cinderella's face. And I think Sebastian, does he recognise at this point So that happens and she's wearing this blonde, like piled up hairstyle wig and she pulls it off and they're staring at each other and he suddenly twigs, oh God, it's Cinderella. 
he shouts, Cinderella, no, I didn't mean to, or something like that. And she turns and runs off, and then he's sort of swept away in the crowd. Yeah. It's very clever. It is very clever. And then everyone leaves the ball, and she comes back on. Mm-hmm. And we know she has a heart because he broke it. Yeah. This is a this is a powerful moment. I think it's lit well, it's performed well, but again The Revolve is really well used here. Yes. I thought while we were watching this, because I've heard this song a million times, I really thought this is when the Revolve was gonna go back. Yeah, I'm glad it didn't, because she's still at the ball. Mm-hmm. I just think my issue with this song is again, it's one that I've already heard. Yeah. And I think as a moment it would be so, so much more powerful. Like um only You, Lonely You. Powerful because I did not know it. Right. Only You, Lonely You had been performed publicly once. We'd actually seen it. Had we? Yes, it was on that night the musicals were showed in Smith. We watched it, it was a Christmas. Yeah. That was the only time they performed that. I know I have a heart and bad Cinderella. I walked out at that point because I was like, I'm going to see Cinderella. And I don't want spoilers. Yeah, I sat and watched it because Ivano is incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. And so is Carrie. I will say, I know she has talked a lot about when she was in Heather's, she got a lot of vocal damage and she actually had tonsillitis and performed, which is a scary thought on its own. But I will say her vocal damage sounds really like miles better. She sounds completely vocally healed. And I think that's certainly something that we can say, Andrew Lloyd Webber, for all his faults, has done an amazing job here because... Could he have added years onto her career? Because you know for a fact that he's written this with her in mind. And that also he has, he always has uh, Fiona McDougall, who's his personal vocal coach. Yeah. He has her for all of his shows. And he will have certainly identified this problem and worked with mm-hmm. to, to overcome it. So after the song finishes, Sebastian comes in. He's like, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to. I, 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 where were you? I was waiting for you. And, and her response is, you kissed my stepsister of everyone you had to she choose. She's just a sister as well. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Because that's, it does, irregardless, this is a person who's related to me. You kissed my sister. Yeah. And because it's, it's worse because it's, it's personal. Mm-hmm. She throws her shoe at him as he tries to apologize and she won't have it. She storms off. The shoe stuff goes nowhere, which is really surprising again for Cinderella because... Right. In the next scene, Dorian takes it off of him. Yeah. Like straight up just picks it out of his hand and then holds it behind his back and then we never see it again. But this is the thing is, he knows who his Cinderella is. His mystery midnight girl. Yeah, so it's irrelevant. But also, how much money is that shoe worth? Oh gosh, yeah. (laughs) Right, so interestingly enough here, the programme. So we put five slash six... One of the songs of the program here is Act Two, Scene Two. I have no idea what a bit, what bit of music that relates to. And then we have I Am No Longer Me, which is great. Now this isn't the first time that one of the newer Andrew Lloyd Webbers starts life with just a Act Two, Scene Two, because we have in School of Rock Act Two, Scene Eight, Dewey's Bedroom. Yeah, so this is the in between part of after I Know I Have a Heart and before. I'm no longer me. Before I'm no longer me, it's just their conversation. Which is fine. I, I wonder why there's not a name for it. Like, what would you call this scene is a, a confrontation? Post-ball blues? Or just Maybe argument. Maybe not post-ball blues. <laughs> or just argument. But you know what I mean? Like, it's very weird. And perhaps it doesn't have a name yet. 
Well, that's it's interesting because there's a deleted song. Yeah. That was removed because it's a five-minute song. There's a deleted. This is already yeah. a very long musical. And there is a deleted song in School of Rock. You know that is part of this process. But even that has a name. Yeah. So I really love this sequence because a we get the revolve going back and it's timed really well. But we have angry Sebastian, and it's great. Mm. Uh, his energy is fantastic. Everyone bows to him now. It's like they're no longer mocking him; they are like recognizing him as yeah. They're trying to be like monarch. bros. Yes, the the warriors three. Yeah, um, they're trying to be like, oh, cool, good for you. You kissed the hottest girl in there. Like blah blah blah. All this like toxic masculinity. And he's like, that's how you speak to your future king. And they get down on a knee straight away without like, they're like, oh, we're not friends. Yeah, and instantly like, oh yeah, this is our place. And I, cool, I liked that about the Warriors Three. Mm-hmm. You know, the lack of toxic masculinity at this point is good. Um, and yeah, <laughs> he says to the queen, it's like, you did this to me. And you think you've done this to improve the land? I will marry and I will do my kingly duty. But I will not be the same happy-go-lucky king you thought I would be. Well, he be. also says he refuses to have children. Yeah. That will be the end of our family line. And she's like, oh, God. I wonder if that was a plot point pre or post Bridgerton. You know? Do you think you think Andrew Lloyd Webber and Emerald Fennell sat... Um, Emerald Fennell definitely watched Bridgerton. There we go. I'm not saying that in just discriminatory Andrew way Lloyd I watched to figure it, it how great. to do Bridgerton the musical right now I, I tell you that have you not heard Bridgerton the I musical I have on TikTok but Andrew Lloyd Webber is still trying to think of how he can Bridgerton it would, it would be perfect for a musical like a hundred percent yeah I like this this is a sequence it's a really good and it's nice depth for Sebastian as well like he grows uh, we get a moment of triumph, and this is fantastic. I love the stepmother gloating. Mm-hmm. We've got Adele primping and preparing for her Marie wedding, being like, sobbing unfair, in the background. But unfair. we learn that the stepmother has a favourite child. She just says it. It's great. Up. And it, uh, did both stepsisters have different parents? They're like different dads. No, because they're supposed to be... But this version, it felt like she's berating Marie's dad... And like your dad was nothing. Oh no, because she's like, oh your dad, you you're just like your father. He was an imbecile too. And it's like, oh well, Adele's more like her. But yeah. like Adele and Maria equally is stupid. Yeah, I thought this was fantastic. I like seeing this side of it. It's funny because Laura Baldwin has a thing for marriage and baking in the West End hmm. because uh, she does talk about like baking. You know. Uh, in this sequence as well. I was just like, <laughs> this is just waitress. This is villainous waitress. <laughs> I really liked this as a sequence. And then we have far too late. <sighs> Again, a really good Cinderella song, but goes on a little too long. Some of the repetition of lines just feels like filler. Like we're trying to make this song longer than it should be. But then I think this is where we get a really nice, like, addition to the Cinderella story with Ego has a price because Marie comes in sipping from her hip flask and says Cinderella do you want some you need it more than me yeah and Cinderella's just not willing to engage and Marie's like you realize like we could have been friends and you've treated me badly and like you know I hate her as well like yeah we could have helped each other out here this entire time but you just saw me as this vapid 
like blonde idiot. And actually, it does raise a good point that yes, of course, Marie has done nasty things as a stepsister, but also it's not as been as bad as we've seen in other Cinderella versions where they are completely like, you know, unreasonable. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, and and because you had your ego and you had to try and one up everyone and prove a point you've lost out on this man and this is your fault and i thought that was quite an interesting sequence that they have this kind of human moment together yeah and marie says run you have time before the bells if you run you can get to the wedding you can stop the wedding so of course off cinderella goes i thought it was really fun because i'm now on the edge of my seat the rest of the scene and again, in terms of subverting the plot, I, I at this point, am expecting Cinderella to make it before like Shrek. the bells. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. That's what I'm waiting for. So the costume that Marie is wearing in this scene is absolutely hilarious. The stepmother says to her that she doesn't... Oh, nobody will be looking at her. She says, go and help your sister into her wedding gown. And she says, but mother, I'm not even dressed yet. No one will look at you. Well, no one will be looking at you. So instead of putting on her bridesmaid's dress, she wears a slip to the wedding to make a point. And I love it. And it's just like a really short, really short white It's the right level of like bitter and, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, Weakest point of the show in terms of the music was the wedding march because it is just generic. Your wedding march, yeah. Like, it's perfectly fine. It's not the fine. wedding march, but no, it's it is not. a wedding march. But this is the thing. It's perfectly fine. It serves its job. You know, the nice visual of everyone going down the aisle is fantastic and, you know, some really over-the-top, like, movements. But as a bit of music, it's just fine. It yeah. doesn't, like, reinvent the genre. Should it have to? No. But could I believe that they just put on a CD for this? Yes. Yeah, you could have got this music anywhere. And that's what I think the issue is. If when you're paying for a musical, with the exception of like Shrek, where you, you want to hear that I saw her face. Yeah. You kind of want every bit of music to be like unique to this. This bit in the same way as the Cinderella Waltz didn't feel unique. Mm-hmm. And you just feel like Andrew Lloyd Webber, come on, you can write two bits of orchestration for this. Yeah. Have some lyrics. Oh, happy day type lyrics, you know, like wedding mm-hmm. union of love or hate you know could you have some lyrics to this sequence Bless this day a tragedy of life oh, yeah <laughs> could you yeah jar get on the blower to sometime use this song okay. and have sebastian thank you very much but i'm not getting married today so one of the things i really loved about this sequence was at the front we have uh is it gawain just to uh jump back a little bit yeah so we skipped over one of the weirdest parts of this show. I know exactly what you mean, and also like one of the weirdest crowd responses. In That's this what show. I mean. So, Cinderella is gearing up to leave. She's packing her bag, basically, and the stepmother and her are bickering. And the stepmother's like, "Good, I'll be glad to see the back of well, you." She she says, "It's like I won." Yeah, and she's like, "Well, I hope you learned something from this, Cinderella." And Cinderella says, "The only thing I ever learned from you was how to be a massive bitch." And the audience were like, ooh, that's the noise response. But not even that, it was just, ooh. Yeah, it was like a, mm, okay. Yeah, it wasn't, like there wasn't a response to it. Yeah. And then the stepmother responds with, well, I can't take all the credit, my dear. You did most of that on your own. Oh! Right. The audience went insane. We were like cheering and laughing. We are on the wrong side. <laughs> but, but why is it? Why was it? Like, was it her delivery? Or was it just like, 
was it just that Carrie Hope Fletcher's delivery of that line wasn't big enough? No, because I really liked the way that she said it. She like slowed it, it down. Wasn't baiting it up for a big response. I don't know. I'm... No, but they paused. They yeah. expected that response. They... But I think yeah. up until this point, we've no reason to really hate the stepmother. No. She's, no. She lets you know. Cinderella apologizes. She says, "Okay, I've thought about it. You can stay here." Yeah. She is trying to do the best for her daughter. She never once says anything particularly malevolent against Cinderella. So we don't have a good reason to hate her. So she said that line and we were all like, yeah, we love it. Yeah, stepmother. (laughs) Because we're all apparently just rooting for the bad guys. But like you say, Cinderella comes off as the bad guy in a lot of these situations. She really does. Like they say, ego has a price. Mm-hmm. So one of the bits I really loved here is Gawain. Yes. At the front, watching, you know, the wedding. And Marie strolls down and goes and stands next to him. And he just, like, raises the eyebrow, smiles at her. And you just see him talking in the background. And it's just... She's also, like, twice his height. Yeah. But it's just a really nice moment where you can tell they're, like, into each other. Mm-hmm. And even that is a better kind of coupling up than Cinderella and Sebastian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, they don't really have many lines together, but I liked it. I just liked their interaction, their flirting. So, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm waiting. Because the bells haven't gone yet, and typically this sort of scene is Cinderella's going to make it just before the vows. But no. Because we get man's man reprise, because... Charming's alive! Uh, Prince Charming finally gets back. Yes, and he runs into the audience. Yeah, it's great. As he runs in, one of the girls shouts, I love you, Prince Charming. And he goes, I love you, peasant. Which is a line from Megamind, right? Yeah. And there's obviously like, he's talking about how I heard the news that my brother was to be weird. And I thought, no, I cannot put him through this. I have to stop this loveless marriage because I too was going to be wed. And he's like, I will have to take one for the team. And I thought at this point, I knew what the twist was, but I also thought at this point, is he implying that he's going to marry Adele? Yeah. But then he's well, like... Well, that's the point, right? That's what they want That's what they're to trying think. to build you to believe in, because I knew the twist. And if you have, I guess we've already spoiled the twist, but if you missed it and you're like, what twist? What? What is this twist? Big spoiler warning for maybe the next 30 seconds... Prince Charming's gay. Isn't that like so funny? Hilarious. I don't think it was. What a great joke. Laughs, but then the problem is people were like. It is a joke. It was taken by people as a joke. That's the that's the issue. That's the issue. I do not think that the setup for this is designed as a joke. I think it is more just a. I'm I'm in love with this man. Yeah. But the problem is, like you say. The audience laughs. Yeah, so there were a lot of reactions that weren't like, oh, cool, that's great, ha-ha, like, oh, incredible, this is like such a great character. First of all, he's a very camp man. I don't know anything about the actor. Caleb Roberts is a very good performer. I don't know anything about him. This is his musical theatre debut. So... And also, he doesn't have social media. Yeah. I tried to look him up. He he doesn't exist on social media. I think one of the things you said to me, and I completely understand why, because it's... 
I really hope this man is a gay actor. Yeah, I think it's very much similar to what we talked about with James Corden in the fact that the way Prince Charming is represented at times... He's very effeminate. Yes. And if it, it's very much like... And the only comparison I can really appropriately make right now is James Corden as, as Barry. That There's a lot of the mannerisms that are uh, more effeminate. And... I think, like you say, if, if this is an LGBTQ plus performer... Fantastic. Yeah. Abs- absolutely fine. This whole scene is okay. The issue stems more from, I guess, and we saw preview performances of it, but it comes from how you do this moment best. You're getting laughs. You shouldn't get laughs. You sh- And there were cheers. There were cheers. There yes. were people who really liked this moment. Like, yeah! Like- yeah, so he sings a line where he says um, something about, like, I, I will take one for the team and I will marry. I will marry. I will marry this man and it's the duke from one of the rival towns yes and so he people were cheering and i was like oh that's so nice but then also as you look around the people who are cheering you can tell why they're cheering yes and the people who are laughing you're kind of like oh this feels uncomfortable yeah i was uncomfortable as an lgbtq plus person i was uncomfortable with the way that this was taken by the audience and I don't, I don't think there's a way they could have written this for it to not come off. Like I think that. this is what the issue is that I, I don't know how you fix this. I think it's important that we keep gay prince charming. Oh, I think that's great. It's, uh, yeah, I think what a great idea. And especially, it's just not played out very nicely. If you are going to get a lot of families who see this, how many families will this be that child's first? like moment realizing that mm. man and woman isn't the only marriage option is that actually men can marry men yeah. women can marry it how many children will see this and this will be their first introduction to the lgbtq plus community uh, and how many children will see this and be like oh that's me yes like that's important exactly. but that's why it's important that's done and, and this is the thing is i think back to musicals that we we've looked at on the podcast but also that i've seen and with the exception of prom and this, I could be wrong, I could be missing something. There are not many gay characters in musicals. No. And that isn't right. It's bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You know, and, and to have this as a big moment in an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, regardless of your thoughts on him, I think that's important. I mean, yeah. But I, th- I think it's important that, you know, this character's there. I think the issue is very much in the reveal and the response from the audience. And, you know, me as a teacher, when I say to the kids, I think, you know, a big thing I have to mark them on is your artistic intentions. And I say to them, if you want your audience to take this away from it and they don't, you've, you've failed in that. And I have I'm... to give you lower marks for that. And I, I do think one of the things they have to try and do to fix this moment is to get that moment right. What do they want the audience response to? And if it's to laugh, then that's a problem. Mm. If it's to cheer... What can they do better in that moment to to make that cheer happen? Yeah. So in the ones that we've covered, we have Kinky Boots. Yeah. Which we've talked extensively about. Billy Elliot. Yeah. The Prom. And this. And then we have ones that have queer readings. Yes. Which I'm not counting because... 
that's not what the intention was. No, you know? I mean, things like Calamity Jane certainly have queer readings, but you know, you need it to be more explicit sometimes. Like mm-hmm. you really do need it to be like this is a gay love story. Yeah. Because you need to say that statement as opposed to just let people read it. I think sometimes the more ambiguous you leave it, it's like, well, yes, they end up in a straight relationship. They are very gay, aren't they? It's like, no. That, mm-hmm. I, I Just have have the courage to commit to saying we are writing gay characters. Yeah. So, yes, the prince reveals he is gay and we get married for love. We find out that the stepmother is a homophobe. Yes, that was the thing. I don't think they meant it that way. This is another version of the, the thing at the beginning where the stepmother is trying to argue that, well, no, you promised Adele marriage. Yeah. So either way, somebody's marrying her. Yeah. You know? And the that's what she means. Oh, I actually get this bit a little bit later, but yeah. I think, you know, that's what she means. But then the queen responds as if she is being a homophobe, which she kind of is. Yeah. But she says, you know, take her away. What could be better than one king than two kings? Yeah. And then, yeah. So. And I do love that bit is the fact that, you know, she's okay with it straight away. Now, yes, there's an element of... I can monetize this. ...publicity hat on. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, she supports her son. And I think that's what's important. You know, the queen is supportive of her child in this moment. However... <laughs> right. I do think it's really funny that in, you know following the month in which all of the big corporations and the big money-making people put all their pride flags out and are like, look how inclusive I am. We have a character who is like, look how inclusive I am, but also this will save my town and make me lots of money and the people won't behead me. Yeah. Like, it has exactly the same sort of performative... It is one of those moments that I just wish... Again, I think that line needs to change because that encourages the laughs a little bit of, you know... I think a moment from the queen where she's serious, Mm. where she looks at her son and she just says, the best thing you could do is marry for love Mm -hmm. because the kingdom will respect a king who marries for love. Mm. And then you, and then you have the party. And if she then shouts that line publicly, if she had a private moment with her son first, maybe it makes that moment a little bit nicer. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we go into uh, Cinderella's soliloquy because, of course, Cinderella hasn't shown up yet and she hears the bells because Prince Charming's got married. Oh, right. I completely forgot she existed. Yeah. We'll talk about <laughs> this in a moment, I'm sure. But yeah, she thinks that Sebastian's married, she's late. And I really like that this song features all of her songs at actually decides what to do. I think that's a really cool sequence. Mm. You know, that we have moments of bad Cinderella. We have moments of, uh, I know I have a heart because you broke it. We have moments of far too late. This is a really good sequence. You know, and you see her traveling back to the house. I liked it. I thought it was powerful. We go to the wedding party. Yeah, this felt very carnival from In the Heights. You know, like this big, like, celebration. Like, you know what I mean? It has that energy. Yeah. And I love that energy with it. And all these characters having their own conversations. We're having revelations. We get some great lines here where we have, like, 
the stepmother comes back and is like, my daughter is completely heartbroken. How could you do this to her? And the queen's like, isn't that her over there dancing with the baker? And yeah, she's like proper with the baker. Mm -hmm. And then we see, you know, Maria's with uh, Gawain. Gawain, yeah. Which is great. And uh, yeah, she sends the stepmother out and says, out you go. We don't want you here anymore. And she goes to sip her champagne and the queen says, stop or your head will be on a pike. Mm -hmm. And off she goes. I think that's the last time we see the stepmother. Yeah. So she leaves in disgrace. We get a really nice moment with Sebastian dancing. Sebastian's all stropping because, you know, he wants to go after Cinderella. Oh, yeah. Prince Charming is being, like, kind of mean. And he's like, hey, I just got married and I just saved you. So you're going to dance for me. And the Queen says the same. It's like, he saved you. Go. And when he starts dancing, oh, my days. This is spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. And, uh, yeah, I really did like this whole sequence. Marie, in between, like, the moments where she's, you know, interacting with uh, Gawain, tells Sebastian that Cinderella was going to crash the wedding. Uh, and it's like, why Why are you not dancing with her? Why are you so miserable? Cinderella told you how she felt. It's like, what? No, she didn't. Yeah, so off he goes. Uh, and he, he bumps into the godmother, who gives him back the necklace. And says that you chose badly. And it's like, no, I don't think... Let's not try and pin any of the blame on Sebastian here. Like, mm-hmm. he was looking for his bad Cinderella. Not this, you know, heavily plastic surgery made up Cinderella. So, didn't really like this interaction between them. I didn't think it was necessary. And I don't like that... Yeah, they're trying to make him the bad guy. He's like, you put Cinderella through this. No, he asked his friend to be there. Yeah. Let's leave poor little Sebastian alone. And he shows up to the house and he thinks he was too late. So naturally, we see another Andrew Lloyd Webber musical where somebody has a uh, close interaction with a shoe, following on from Masquerade in the Phantom film. He holds, uh, Sebastian holds the shoe. Is this a to be or not to be sequence? No, he's just serenading the shoe. Mm -hmm. And we get the great moment where Cinderella steps out and says, why are you serenading my shoe? Are you singing to my shoe? Yeah. Because it looks like you're singing to my shoe. Loved it. And yeah, they they, uh, they both say goodbye to each other because Cinderella thinks he is married and he thinks that Cinderella just doesn't want any part of him anymore. Mm-hmm. And they have this really nice sequence where they talk to each other as honest human beings, which is the first and only time they do it in this play. And it's lovely. And as she goes to leave, she says, I hope you'll be very happy with Adele. And he realises, oh, you think I'm married? No, I'm not married. Mm-hmm. And they kiss. And she's like, wow, okay. And then he gives her back the necklace. And then she kisses him. Yeah. And he kisses then... her to shut her up. Oh, yeah. But then she kisses him. And it's quite mm-hmm. nice that they both kiss each other. And then we get the curtain call. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was done fantastically. I, I really liked, you know, the, the pairings and the moments. But it, it feels very much like Cinderella and Sebastian is just crammed in at the end. I know you haven't seen the stage show of Mamma Mia. Yes. But this feels like the ending of that. So the at the end of the stage show, instead of getting on their little boat and sailing away, they come on and stand hand in hand and then they like walk off into the sunset. Yeah. together and it felt like that you know it's like oh yeah we forgot these two are supposed to be together yeah. here we go 
So, before we go into our best songs, skip songs, MVPs, and like final thoughts, mm -hmm. obviously this is a, a different one for us for Twitter and Instagram reflections. Yep. So we just asked, how many of you are interested in seeing this one? 27% uh, of people said they'll wait for the reviews. I think that's fair. Yep. 32% of people said, no, I'm yet to be sold. And 41% of people on Twitter said, yes, I'm all in. Mm -hmm. On Instagram, 6% of people said, no, I do not want to see this one. And 94% of people said, yes, they want to see this one. Mm. So a lot more popular, but also very similar to Greece too, in the fact that it's kind of mixed. You know, we don't have a clear winner. It's not like a lot of people are desperate to see this one. Yeah. Uh, there, there's some people uh, who... I think I've lost some goodwill towards Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, at Spy Hards especially noted that they haven't really trusted him since uh, a sequel to Phantom, which is completely understandable. You know, I guess if you look at the ratio to, you know, of his old versus new, the older ones do stand out more so. Yeah. With School of Rock for me being a really, like, notable, like, high point. But, you know... It's understandable. He's had a very, very prolific career. At what point is, is is it a day? Cinderella for me is a very strong one, I think. And I do think that if people get a chance to go see it, they're going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It's not without its faults, but I enjoyed it. What is your best song? Either I Know You. Yep. Yeah, no, it's I Know You and then... Only You, Lonely yeah. You. I put I Know You and Only You, Lonely You, but I did also put Man's Man because I really enjoyed it. But would that be funny to listen to? Yes, because I think for me it has vibes. I need to re-listen to it. But I think for me it has vibes of uh, No One Remembers Ahmed from Twisted. <laughs> Twisted, yeah. And I think for that reason alone it will be a great one for me to sing along to. That's pretty but funny. But I do need to re-listen to that one. But in the moment... I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. What is your skip song? Uh, I, I did put Waltz and Wedding March because I would skip them. Non-orchestral. Yeah, non-orchestral. Um, probably Unbreakable. Same. It felt... It felt... I still don't remember it, yeah. to be honest. So, yeah, my skip song was Unbreakable, but I would certainly listen to it again but I don't see myself putting Waltz or Wedding March on to listen to. The other one that I could put as a skip it song, and I said this to you in the theatre, Yeah. I know I have a heart because I'd heard it so many times, but also the chorus is repeated about six times. And I was like, I know all the words to this now. See, I thought that more from far too late. I thought that was the one for me that was ironically oh, far I mean. too many yeah well maybe i know i have a heart is that way and again when i listen that's to the saying yeah but for me far too late again there's a lot going on in there mm -hmm. that is repeated and it feels like filler far too late yeah works. that one i was sat there i was like if she says far too late again i'm gonna lose yeah. my mind the um it works in the context of her soliloquy where we just get a reference to it mm -hmm. what role would you want to play with this one either of the stepsisters yeah You've Absolute got a lot of choice. I oh, know, it's nice for a change. Either of the stepsisters would be really fun, but I want to be the queen. Okay. She's hilarious. It's great. I think what's really interesting with this one is that obviously they have gone... I say obviously, but in my perspective, it looks very much like they've gone for colourblind casting. Yes. 
obviously, Sebastian and Charming are both played by black actors, which yep. is fantastic. But given the nature of Cinderella and also given, you know, uh, other casting choices, I do feel like you, I could say, oh, I'd like to be Prince Sebastian because, mm-hmm. you know, these are colourblind castings to me. I'm not. I'm going to say any of the Warriors three. Yeah. Uh, but probably more Gawain than anyone else. But they mm. all had so much fun when they wanted to, I would like to play one of those. Who is your MVP? Sebastian. Yeah. There's some really nice moments with the Queen and with the stepmother. And their moments are fantastic. But I think the heart from this, ironically... He's got to be a breakout talent from oh, there. A hundred percent. Like, the future is very bright for him. And it's such a shame that he's injured as he could go on and do something, you know, groundbreaking. I I really, really enjoyed him. Whenever I don't think on, he'll be out for long, to be good. honest. He was he was my MVP. There are a lot of really good actors in this. There are a lot of really good performances in this, but I really enjoyed him. Mm-hmm. Who's your MVP? Victoria Hamilton Barrett, the stepmother. Yeah. She's just amazing. But again, the stepmother and the queen are both very honourable mentions, mm-hmm. very near shouts for me because they are great. Yeah, but there's just something about like the youth of Sebastian as well. You feel like you're watching something special with him because he's so new and you're watching him and you're going, he's one to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I gave this one four stars overall. What did you give it? Three. Three. Mostly because I could kind of go either way with it. There's a lot of stuff that made me like, Yeah, that's fair. You know? I did really enjoy it. I would go and see it again. I think the music is good. It's far better than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I was already to be like, oh, it's bad Cinderella. It's actually not. It's a good version of the story. There are there are a few plot points that I have issue with, and some of the songs are not great. But I think for me, the biggest issue I have is actually the name itself and like the premise. Mm-hmm. I don't think this needs to be Cinderella to work. Yeah, if the musical had been called Belleville, yep, I, I think I it would have been exactly the same. Yeah. yeah, I think you have this be called Belleville, and you actually have a generic fairy tale teen who has grown up hearing of all these fairy tale romances like Cinderella and Snow White, and she doesn't realize she's in her own Cinderella story. Yeah, and you can still have these fairy tale tropes and you can still have these moments where it is Cinderella. Like the ball and everything are like just fairy tale fair. They don't feel like they're exclusive to Cinderella. And yeah, there'd be moments where you're looking at this and you're like, oh, hey, it's Cinderella. But you could also throw in, like we get the line with Rumpelstiltskin, you could throw in more moments with, you know, um, Snow White. Like does Prince Charming finally come to terms with his love for the duke when the duke's dying on the battlefield and he kisses him and it's a very snow white moment you know of a true love's kiss restores him yeah could you have more fairy tale references and just have this be called belleville in a fairy tale land well it would just be nice to see more of the prince because his only character trait as it stands is that he's gay yeah yes like more of those moments yeah more of those moments would be good you know, and we still have the song Bad Cinderella, but you can have it like she's very aware that she's a Cinderella character. But she could also have more lines where it is, you know, um, 
they'll never call me Sleeping Beauty. You know, like you could refer to these other tropes that she's like, I am not a princess. I am not this typical fairy tale character. Yeah. So I think for me, that's one of the only real flaws I have with this. I don't think it needs to be Cinderella. I enjoyed it more than I did the Rodgers and Hammerstein. Because I do think it does newer stuff with Cinderella as a premise. You know, it's nice to have more with the prince. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be in a world where the stepsister nearly wins. You know, and it's nice to see the change in the godmother sequence. Even if it does feel very just added on because we have to do a godmother sequence. Yeah. So four stars for me. I think Cinderella is... a really good musical i think it's just okay but i think will it stand the test of time probably like cats like phantom like joseph like jesus christ superstar this is my one of my biggest things is there is a, a quote from carrie hope fletcher where she says that when she was a teenager this would have been perfect for her and i agree when i was 14 if i'd have seen this i would have been obsessed with it yeah because that's when my sort of I refuse to wear makeup and be like other girls phase was, you know? And that's what this feels like. It feels like, you know, when we watch 90s movies now yes. and we're like, oh, like yeah. this maybe isn't okay. That's what this feels like to me. One so the, I don't think it will age well. One of the other things I do have concerns with, the alternate Cinderella is in the ensemble and she is fantastic she's so great you know when she is in the ensemble you notice her for all the right reasons Mm -hmm. i would love to see a performance where she is cinderella because there is a part of me that feels so much of this is written specifically for carrie hope fletcher that when she decides to move on from this project on onto another one will this lose some of the personality because it is written for her. Yes, I would be very, very interested to see this with the alternate Cinderella. Yes, because I can't really comment on it until I've seen that. But mm-hmm. there's a part of me that does worry that this is a a vehicle for Carrie Hope Fletcher. That when she does move on, this will be forgotten. Or people will say, you just can't live up to it because they're not that personality. Yeah. I do think this has a very filmic potential as well, I have to say. In terms of if they wanted to do a pro shot, yeah. I could see it. In terms of if Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted to turn this into a movie, I feel like this version of Cinderella certainly could work as well. Absolutely. Right, next week. Next week I'm ready for summer. I'm ready to graduate. Think about things for the future. It is the end of an academic year. Yes. And we've already looked at one academic process in Greece 2. Mm-hmm. Like you so affectionately said last week, it's time to do Greece 5. Yes. Senior year, high school musical 3. Yes, Wildcats forever. Or so they say. I want it. I am. I really, really (laughs) hope things go well for my boy Troy Bolton. That's all I want. I want a happy ending for Troy. I want him to finally realise that him and Gabrielle are not meant to be together, but they can just split up and be friends. And off they go to college. Gabriella. Whatever. I don't care about her. Second, this has the best Troy Bolton song in it. But it's also seen as the worst of the high school musical films. No, I don't think it's seen as the worst. The second one is just the best. Right. 
I am only here for Troy at this point. Yeah, you're going to like it then. Sharpay and Ryan had a bit more goodwill. But I am only here for Troy. Mm-hmm. So next week will be uh, what a way to celebrate the start of the summer holidays. Our first day of the summer, we graduate with High School Musical 3. And of course, as always, we would welcome all of your criticism, all of your nostalgic takes, or even modern takes. Perhaps in preparation for this moment, you might join us in watching High School Musical 3 and tell us your thoughts. Do you love this one? And if so, why do you love this one? Is this one that you rewatched and hasn't got the same appeal as when you were younger and you saw it for the first time? Or is this one that you never liked? Are you glad that high school finally ends? Because we are going to go and watch High School Musical 3. So tweet us or Instagram us your thoughts as always at It's a Musical Pod. And we will, of course, involve you in the discussion next week. You'll be able to find that discussion next week, as always, on all good podcast platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, on the Amazon Music app, under the podcast section, and on Podbean. And if you have enjoyed what we do, if you've liked this episode covering Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella, why not go over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and leave us a five-star review? And maybe tweet Andrew Lloyd Webber and tell him to give this episode a listen. maybe he'll learn something you know it's in previews and uh, hopefully I I tell you what I'd really like to hear as well actually is if you voted that you wait for the reviews has our anything we've said swung you either way yeah have we made you want to see this now or are you even more so than ever nope not for me love to know your thoughts is this something that we've changed your mind on and again, maybe tweet Andrew Lloyd Webber and say, I want to see Cinderella now because of its musical podcasts. That would be really funny. He does not know we exist. <laughs> he has liked one of our tweets. It was definitely not him. It was definitely not him. But uh, until next week, where we do go and say goodbye to some characters that Drew loves and I tolerate. <laughs> we will see you next week, the same back place, same back channel. And as usual, we are all in this together. Have a magical musical Monday. 